We cannot live in love from a healthy soul if we are emotionally unhealthy or immature. What does emotional health look like? Was Jesus emotionally healthy? Did Jesus express his emotions like any other human being? God came to this earth in the person of Jesus Christ to identify with us in every possible way, including emotionally. However, Jesus' emotions never got away from him like a runaway train. Emotionally healthy Jesus expressed righteous anger, painful sorrow, and perfect love. He experienced real anxiety, woeful grief, agonizing loneliness, and exuberant joy. He experienced and expressed every possible human emotion, yet without sin. Are you an emotionally healthy person? I'm Ron Jones, and this is something good. When you consider the sin of this world and the growing rebellion against God, you have a choice. You can get mad at the darkness, or you can be the light. Hi, I'm Brian Davis, and this is Something Good with Dr. Ron Jones. We're all emotional beings. To one degree or another, we're all passionate about something. Jesus was particularly passionate about the lost. He grieved them so deeply that he served them all his life before laying down his life for their sake. Today, Ron challenges you to ask the Lord to help you have that kind of genuine passion for the lost. Stay with us now as he moves ahead in his teaching series, Inside Out, Living and Loving from a Healthy Soul. Online, you'll find us at somethinggoodradio.org where you can listen to the broadcast on demand on your schedule. That's somethinggoodradio.org. Now here's Ron with part two of his Something Good radio message, The Emotionally Healthy Jesus. I often say at funerals, I encourage the family. Listen, this is a time for weeping. It's also a time for laughing. It's a, it's a time for the range of emotions that God has given to us. And that range of emotions helps us in the grieving process. And grief is one of those very real human emotions that it's there at the moment. You've lost a loved one, but it has a way of sneaking back in six months or 12 months or two years later. And every time it does, the person who's experiencing real grief and woeful grief, you can say, you know, Jesus knows exactly how I feel. And perhaps this is what uh, uh, the prophet Isaiah meant when he predicted the Messiah will not just be a man of sorrows, but also the Messiah would be acquainted with grief. He knows the depth of the pain you're experiencing because of the loss of a loved one. Uh, number five, emotionally healthy Jesus experienced agonizing loneliness. Now, usually in the springtime, when we're getting ready to celebrate Easter, the resurrection of Jesus Christ and Good Friday and all that, I, I love to return in my own studies to the seven last sayings of Jesus from the cross, one of which is recorded in Matthew 27 and verse 46 when Jesus cries out from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he's quoting from the Old Testament book of Psalms where the psalmist David asked the same question. We don't know the exact experiences that David was in when he began to question the presence of God. 
But it was a messianic psalm, and Jesus expresses this on the cross. Why have you forsaken me? Uh, Jesus experienced real and agonizing loneliness that I say was equal to, if not greater than, the pain of the nails they drove into his hands and his feet. Why? Because this, this moment was the first moment in all of eternity when the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit experienced broken fellowship. The Holy Trinity, among other things, is a picture of perfect community, common unity, of perfect fellowship. And at that moment when Jesus Christ bore our sins on the cross, the Father could not bear to look and turned away from him. And that's the moment Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why, why have you forsaken me? He had never experienced the kind of isolation and loneliness that he experienced there suspended between heaven and earth, paying the penalty for your sin and for mine. Others in the Bible experienced uh, agonizing loneliness. I think of the Apostle Paul in his uh, final New Testament letter, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 9 through the end of the chapter. He's come to the end of his life and his ministry. He's already you know, said that I've, I fought the good fight and I finished the course and I kept the faith. But he's lonely. He's lonely in a prison. And he says to his friends, and boy, you can count all kinds of relationships, people that he's named that have been a part of his ministry. He says, will you just come before winter? Because he was lonely. You know, most people will experience loneliness at some time in their life. Single people often experience it at the front end of their life, waiting for God to provide them with, you know, their, their, their wife or their husband. I experienced some of that in my, in my 20s. I got married when I was 30, 31 years old, and there were times when it was agonizingly lonely. Widows and widowers experience loneliness at the end of their life. Sociologists refer now to something called crowded loneliness. Sounds like an oxymoron, doesn't it? But crowding, crowded loneliness is that feeling of lonely isolation when you're in a crowd of people. And oftentimes, uh, crowded loneliness is associated with clinical depression and social anxiety. It's exasperated at times during holiday seasons. Think about this. Hell, hell is a dark place where unrepentant sinners experience agonizing loneliness for all of eternity. If you think hell is a place where you're going to party like it's 1999 with all your friends, you've got another thing coming. Amen. Weeping and gnashing of teeth. An agonizing loneliness because God is not there to comfort you. Now, what should we do with our feelings of loneliness? I say acknowledge them. And then consider this. Let those, those feelings of loneliness draw you closer to God who promises, I will never leave you and never forsake you. I don't want to minimize the real human emotion of loneliness to so much to say, well, Jesus died on a lonely cross so you would never be lonely. No, you will be lonely at some time. I don't know where in the course of your life. But consider it the fellowship of his sufferings. You know, we all want to know him in the power of his resurrection. But Paul also knew him in the fellowship of his suffering, that intimacy you gain 
When you experience some measure of suffering like Jesus did, embrace loneliness that way and let God mentor you during that time and draw you closer to him. Because when you cry out in those times of agonizing loneliness, here's what Jesus is going to say. I get it. I've been there. Now come in a little bit closer. Uh, number six. Let's turn in a positive direction here. Emotionally healthy Jesus experienced exuberant joy. Now in the upper room, Jesus spoke plainly to his disciples. He said in John 15 and verse 11, These things I have spoken to you, that, you, that uh, my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Perhaps he looked around the upper room at his disciples and detected there was, there was a joy deficit there. Someone had stolen their joy. And uh, he says, my, my, my desire is for you to experience the joy that I experience. Jesus was a joyful person. Is that the picture you have in your mind's eye of the Savior? You wouldn't get there by talking to so many Christians who walk around looking like they've been baptized in lemon juice. You know? There ought to be more joy in, in, uh, in and among God's people. Uh, Jesus was a joyful person. The writer of Hebrews encourages us to run the race before us, listen to this, by looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that it was set before him, endured the cross, despised the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus never let contrary circumstances steal his joy. He didn't let the cross and the, and the prospects of that coming closer and closer to him steal his joy. He looked beyond it. He endured the cross because he knew you know, joy comes in the morning. And it always does. By the way, biblical joy is more than happiness. You know that, don't you? Yes. Happiness depends on what's happening. Yeah. But biblical joy, well, first, it's the serious business of heaven. Read Luke chapter 15. There are three parables that Jesus told about heaven that throws a party every time a lost person comes to faith in Christ. And what joy and rejoicing there is in heaven. A joy is also a fruit of the Spirit. When you're walking in step and in stride with the Spirit of God, He produces in us love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and so forth. And James tells us that joy is a choice. James chapter 1, choose joy, he says. Consider it all joy when you fall into various trials to flesh it out a little bit more. Who's he writing to? He's writing to a group of people known as the dispersion. Who was the dispersion? These were people who were scattered. Their lives were scattered to the four winds because of persecution that came to the early church. They had lost their community and maybe lost touch with, with family members. And James writes this letter to people who are in various trials and later temptations. And he says, consider it all, choose joy. Joy is a choice. We'll be right back with more of today's Something Good message from Dr. Ron Jones, lead pastor at Atlantic Shores Baptist Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia. 
So let me ask you, do you have a passion to pray? Would you like to improve in that area? The disciples asked Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. And he gave them a model for prayer that even a child can learn. Dr. Ron Jones has written a full-length book, The Jesus Way to Pray, an intimate journey through the Lord's Prayer. And today he'd like to share it with you. Join Ron as he guides you phrase by phrase through the power and beauty of the prayer that begins, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. You'll also find an entire chapter that explains how Jesus prays for you and me, as well as biblical answers to the age-old question, Does God answer prayer? That's The Jesus Way to Pray, An Intimate Journey Through the Lord's Prayer. Order your copy for a donation of $25 or more. Share it with a friend by requesting a two-pack for $50, a four-pack for $75, or an eight-pack for $150 or more. Give online at somethinggoodradio.org or over the phone by calling our offices at 757-276-1099 or mail your gift to P.O. Box 6245, Virginia Beach, Virginia, Two three four five six. Now let's get back to the rest of today's Something Good Radio message, The Emotionally Healthy Jesus. Once again, here's Dr. Ron Jones. Uh, Kay Warren, who's the wife of Rick Warren, has figured this out. Uh, she wrote a book called Choose Joy Because Happiness is Not Enough. And she talks very authentically about how sustaining joy in her life and that emotion has always been a bit difficult for her, but she writes, joy is the settled assurance that God is in control of all the details of my life. It's the quiet confidence that ultimately everything is going to be all right and the determined choice to praise God in every situation. Joy, joy is that, uh, uh, that experience, that exuberant joy that emotionally healthy Jesus expressed. And then finally, emotionally healthy Jesus expressed perfect love. Again, as Jesus entered the upper room with his disciples, uh, John, the beloved disciple, just jotted a note down in his gospel, uh, chapter 13 and verse one, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Nobody loves you like Jesus does. He loves well, and he loved the disciples to the end. Later in the evening, Jesus said to his disciples there in the upper room, chapter 13 of John and verse 34, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. How did Jesus love them? Well, with a perfect love. Sometimes we use the word unconditional which means he didn't love them by saying, I love you if, or I love you when. He just says, I love you. And that love is deep and wide. Oh, the depth and the height and the width and the length of God's love, Paul writes to the Ephesians. It's a deep kind of love. Now, some people have difficulty giving and receiving love in relationships because well, if you, you know, dig down deep into their life, they weren't loved well in their home. Maybe you grew up in a home where your parents, and it's maybe a generational thing, nobody learned how to love well. And love was always conditional. I love you if, or I love you when. And, and the home was very you know, full of, of turmoil. And the motions of the soul were, 
you know, really chaotic. But you never, you never learn to receive just unconditional love. So now you're having, as an adult, a difficult time in relationships giving love. And, it, and it's creating you know, some issues in um, uh, your relationships. One of the challenges with people who never learn to give and receive love is, is you know, responding to the love of God in their lives. And if they have a faith, it's dangerously close to being merely intellectual and theological, but a faith that never reaches down into the basement in a way that touches your emotions and reaches your heart. And so we need to get back to the idea that salvation and sanctification, big theological words, are not only about the redemption and the saving of our soul, it's about the redemption of our total and holistic humanity, mind, body, heart. And when you get to the heart, go downstairs a couple more flights where you run into your will and your spirit and your emotions, those places where most of us dare not travel to. And let Jesus redeem that as well. And make you into the human being redeemed by the grace and mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that you were created uh, to be. Uh, healing our emotions begins with a vision, I believe, of the emotionally healthy Jesus and how he expressed real human emotions in all of these categories. I've just touched on seven of them. There are perhaps others. But let me leave you with three uh, final thoughts and then we're done. Number one, God knows exactly how you feel. Don't ever forget that. Uh, some of you have so suppressed your emotions, you're, you're not even sure whether you can you know, express these to God, but just know God knows exactly how you feel. Remember, this, this, this Messiah is acquainted with grief. He has experience with it. Or whatever emotion it might be. Number two, God understands your emotions better than you do. I, I say that just because he created you and me. We are fearfully and wonderfully made, not just our, our skeleton and our organs and the biology and all of that, but the totality and the holisticness of our humanity, mind, body, heart, and soul, and all of that. I mean, how complex we are as human beings. It ought to make us stand back in wonder and awe and worship and say with the psalmist, I am fearfully and wonderfully made and my soul knows it right well. God understands your emotions better than you do. And finally, it's okay to tell God how you feel. It really is. And perhaps the first step in healing that basement region of your humanity where you have suppressed and locked away some emotions that, that need to come out, uh, it, it starts by sharing those emotions with God. You say, well, I don't know that I can tell God just how angry I am. Sure you can. He knows how you feel anyway. And besides, he gave us a book in the Old Testament called the book of Psalms. Have you ever read that? Every human emotion you can possibly imagine was put into the book of Psalms, including anger. 
and sorrow and sadness and anxiety. We're going to go there next week and we're going to finish this series with a message titled, Why is my soul downcast? And hope for the downcast soul. Uh, David and other psalmists cry out at times, you know, God, where are you and why is my soul so downcast? Why am I feeling these emotions on the inside? You, you, if, if you don't know how to express your emotions to your spouse or your family, let alone to God, go to the book of Psalms, find a psalm that aligns with the emotion you're feeling, and, and just make that your conversation with God. I, that's this beautiful way to use the Word of God in our prayer life. And when you pray the Word of God, you're always praying the will of God. Hey, listen, if, if this made it into the Word of God and the psalmist expressed this way, I guess it's okay to do this. Sure, it's okay to tell God how you feel. It's a starting point in becoming emotionally healthy like Jesus. So that we live and we love and yes, we even lead from our places of vocational or volunteer ministry from a healthy soul. Mind, body, heart, soul, the will, the spirit, way down here in the basement, the emotions. We want all of that to be healthy and sanctified and redeemed and governed by the leadership of the Holy Spirit in our lives as we follow the example of the emotionally healthy Jesus. Thanks for joining us for today's Something Good Radio message, The Emotionally Healthy Jesus. And I'm pleased to welcome in Dr. Ron Jones. And Ron, I love what you said about Jesus grieving for the lost and how his heart was just absolutely broken for them. Is it possible for us to grieve that way? That's the thing, Brian. We might sometimes be tempted to think, but yeah, that's Jesus grieving for the lost, you know, God in the flesh. And I understand that line of thinking. Uh, what I'd say in response is this. Our choice is not limited to grieving the lost flawlessly the way Jesus did or else not grieving them at all. Uh, there's plenty of in-between ground. So no, we, we, we can't be perfect as he is perfect, but we can, in the power of the Holy Spirit, strive to be more like him. And that alone can place us in a position to be genuinely and deeply grieved for those who have not yet come to faith in Christ. And here's some biblical proof that it is, in fact, possible to have that kind of grief. In Romans chapter 9 and verse 3, and I'm paraphrasing here. The Apostle Paul basically says he is so grieved for the lost that he almost wishes he was cut off from Christ if that's what it took for them to find Christ. Brian, that's amazing passion for the world right there. And I think in some ways we've lost a little of that passion. Uh, maybe we've gotten a little mad at the world instead of getting merciful toward the world the way Christ has been merciful toward us. If we'll dive into the passion of Jesus and Paul and others who deeply and genuinely experienced anguish over lost souls, and then if in the power of the Spirit we, we strive to mimic that passion, well, we might just see revival unlike anything else in our lifetime. That's what it's all about, Ron, helping lead people to faith in Christ. Now, as we wrap up today's program, tell us what you have in store tomorrow as you move ahead in your teaching series, Inside Out, Living and Loving from a Healthy Soul. 
Brian, the next message in uh, the Inside Out series is the final message. So what I'd like to do over the next couple of days is take you to a book of the Bible that talks about the human soul more than any other book. And of course, you may already know that I'm talking about the book of Psalms. It speaks extensively about our soul, and one of the things it focuses on is the downcast soul. So if you're anguished or depressed or a little wounded, the next couple of days could really help jumpstart you back towards the joyful and victorious life Jesus really desires for you. Because to live and love the Jesus way, you need to be doing it from a healthy soul. Really looking forward to that message, Ron. Sounds like an important one. And it all comes your way tomorrow in Dr. Ron Jones' message, Hope for the Downcast Soul. Join us then for Something Good. For Ron and the entire team here at Something Good Radio, I'm Brian Davis saying God bless and thanks for listening.